You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay. Let's bust this out because it's going to be a great pod because I have something off the top that I thought of on the way home from Lindsay. My son's hockey game. Yes, once again, it is time for 32 Thoughts, the podcast, alongside yours truly, Jeff Merrick and Emil Delich. It is uh, recently signed to a PTO podcast tryout, the one and only Elliot Friedman. Speaking of PTOs, Elliot, uh, on my way home today from lovely Lindsay, Ontario, where my son had an exhibition game, I came up with a song. Hmm. <laughs> you want to hear my song? I'm not sure, but for the sake of the pod, I will say yes. That might not be the real answer, though. It sounded good in my head when I came up with it. I hope I have all the names right. I hope these are actually all players that are on PTOs. I think they are. Ready? <clears throat> yep. Danton Hine and Noah, Gregor Collin, White and Libor Hayek, Quiver Ranta, Peter Holland, Sam Gagne, and Brandon Sutter. We didn't start the fire. No, it's not a Billy Joel kind of... It's kind of going for a we didn't start the fire vibe, but with PTO players. That's where my brain went after a medium coffee around 6.30, 7 o'clock this evening, Elliot. This is a low point in the history of the pod. Denton Hine and Noah, Gregor, Colin White and Lieber Hyatt. Kid Veronta, Peter Holland, Sam Gagne and Brandon Sutter. Come on, man, that's a hit. That's, I know I left a few names. I know Alex Chason and Mark Pissick and all that kind of stuff and Austin Wagner, but I think I, I think I really did something there. I think I did an art there, Elliot. Cardi B had a big drop on the weekend. <laughs> I don't think she's threatened by whatever this is you came All right, with. fine. Billy Joel, your We Didn't Start the Fire is safe. It's not going to be replaced by references to Joel Kivaranta and, and Peter Holland. But just as an aside to kick off the podcast, we're always so fascinated with players that, that get PTOs or accept PTOs or go to camp on PTOs, players we've seen play under you know, sometimes long-term contracts. Do any of these players that are signed under PTOs move the needle for you or you just say, let's see what happens in camp? I think I've said before, I'm really rooting for Brandon Sutter. Yeah. To see him get a chance after his battles with long COVID to prolong his career or try to resume on his own terms, I'm going to be openly cheering for him. Like just blatantly. Yeah shirking all journalistic convention <laughs> for Brandon Sutter in training camp this year. I, I really like to see him do well. I still think there's some more to come. You know, there's a few good players out there who haven't signed yet. And, you know, one of the ones I'm really uh, curious about is Thomas Tatar. Mm. And uh, Thomas Tatar has switched agents. He is now 
uh, represented by Newport. That's a relatively recent development. Someone said to me they wouldn't be surprised to see him sign soon. We'll see. I know Pittsburgh was a team that was interested, but I believe the Penguins were not the only one. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good morning, Amal. Hope you had an excellent dinner. Just quick drop-in. One thing about Tatar, I thought it might be Pittsburgh. Now I'm not convinced it's going to be Pittsburgh. I've heard East, but I'm not so sure it's Pittsburgh. But this offseason has been about players who really got squeezed. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko was a guy yep. who really got squeezed, misread the market, got squeezed. Uh, Tyler Mott was another guy who hoped, you know, I heard he was looking for a $2 million number, and now he's in Tampa Bay at 800 k We'll see where Tatar ends up, what his number will be, but I'm sure he thought it would be better than it is. This is becoming more and more a league of, and we'll see what happens when the cap rises, but there definitely is a feeling we're moving to an elimination of the middle class. Elliot, it's been going that way for years. It's been trending this way for years. It's been trending, but it's never really gotten there. And now people think it's really going to get there. Do you not think, though, that by the very nature of the salary cap in general, this is what inevitably happens, specifically in hockey? I mean, it started in 2005 after the 0405 lockout, and it's sort of now getting to this place where you're really seeing, you know, much like, you know, the economy of various countries, the complete removal, to your point, of the middle class. The middle class hockey player is gone. The reason that I would disagree with you, Jeff, is because the top paid players have always faced pressure not to go after the 20%. In the history of the salary cap, there's been only one player at 20% of the cap. Do you know the answer to that trivia question? Ilya Kovalchuk, sir. No, that's a good guess. It's not Ilya Kovalchuk, but that's a good guess. It's a bit of a trick question because it was Yarmir Yager in the first year of the cap. In the first year of the cap, Yager's salary from his previous contract was over 20%. So he was grandfathered in. Right. I always wondered about that, that if the salary cap went down, all of a sudden player X made more than 20% of the cap, would they take that money off? In that case, they didn't. Actually, to be honest, Jeff, I don't know if there's anything written into the CBA about that, but the you know the lawyers and all sports now are run by lawyers the ones who believe in precedent, there is precedent for Yager to be exempted. So he was exempted in the first year of the cap. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like the top players, they've always kind of been, I don't know if shamed is the right word, but they've kind of been pressured into not taking the 20%, right? Like you'll remember when Connor McDavid signed in Edmonton, yeah. initially he was going to sign for, I think, 13.33, and he dropped it to 12 and a half. Do you remember why specifically? Because it got out at 13.33 and... It was to leave money for Dreisaitl. Of course, yes. And it got out and he didn't like it and and he took it down. And most hockey players at the top of the pay scale are like McDavid. He's hardly alone in that. Now we're starting to see some differences. You know, like McKinnon, he went to 12.6. And then Matthews, of course, goes to 13.25. I think we're all wondering if... This next generation is different. Like one of the things that's really interesting to me, Jeff, is that like there's a bunch of agencies here. They do 
other sports. Mm-hmm. Like Wasserman is a big agency. They do other sports. CAA and Octagon, those are big agencies. They do other sports. You know, what some of those agents have told me is that in some of the other sports, they don't understand the hockey mentality. They're like, wait a second. If, you know, you can't make it work under the cap, that's somebody else's problem. Or the star player gets paid because they're the star player and they're bringing home the revenue. And if people don't like that, too bad. It's a very different mentality. And I know what you're saying, that we've been trending this way for a while. The reason it hasn't gotten there is the star players in hockey have generally avoided going anywhere near that 20. Well, now we're starting to see McDavid 12-5, McKinnon beats it by 100,000, and then Matthews beats it by 625,000. Like, that's a big jump. And these guys are competitive. They're competitive not only on the ice, but they're competitive in terms of contracts. And I always wonder, this generation is built different in a lot of ways, some good, some bad. And I do wonder if we're going to see that mentality creep into hockey. We'll find out. Uh, We shall see. We should also mention, coming up a little bit later on in the podcast, you will hear from, and these are a couple of interviews we did in Stockholm at the NHL European Players Tour, Philip Gustafsson, newly minted three-year contract in his hip pocket, Elliot's uh, netminder for the Minnesota Wild, and Lucas Raymond as well of the Detroit Red Wings. So that's still to come here on today's podcast in the meantime you know one of the things that i we um were waiting on and we've talked a lot about ottawa geez all last season and the off season last podcast with jake sanderson and now we're talking about ottawa with michael and lauer is this going to come to fruition is this going to close uh eyes dotted t's crossed etc this week with and lauer becoming the new official owner of the ottawa senators the expectation is yes this is going to come to an end this week You know, the one thing about the sale process is there were a lot of misfires before they picked Ann Lauer, and then it's been pretty smooth ever since that occurred. And everybody seems to think he's going to be officially unveiled this week. And with that, we'll find out, you know, what's going to happen around him. There's been a lot of talk about Cyril Leader coming back. He was in that organization for a long time. There's been a lot of talk about Steve Steos. I think we're going to find out and get clarity on some of these things uh, this week. Let me throw another name at you, Daniel Alfredson. Daniel Alfredson's another one. You know, I've had some people say to me they're not convinced Alfredson's going to take an enormous role yet. I mean, we'll find all this out. But as I said to you many times, he was the one guy who didn't do the popular celebrity. And I think you're going to hear him say he thinks a well-run organization is more important than celebrities. The other thing we'll get, I'm sure we'll get some clarity on is what are his plans for the arena? Mm -hmm. Does he still plan on taking the team downtown? What's the situation with that? You know, one of the other things here, and you just referenced Steve Steos a couple of seconds ago too, you know, you you wonder about new names that could be populating the organization. And I think you also wonder about people that have helped put together this version of the Ottawa Senators and do they stay or with new ownership, do they need to seek employment elsewhere? And I think a lot of people are wondering about Pierre Dorian here, but you know, in Dorian's defense, and this is going to be a conversation around the NHL for a while here. 
I know a lot of people sort of raised their eyebrows when Dorian said, you know, we don't have bad, any bad contracts on this team. And you could quibble about a couple of contracts, but there's no like egregious contract here or a couple that are really dragging down the Ottawa Senators. I don't know that people are used to hearing managers brag about, you know, their salary cap situation. But if anyone in the Eastern Conference has maybe the right to brag about it, even though at times they seem like, you know, maybe some Hail Mary passes here. But if anyone has a right to brag about their salary cap situation, it is probably Ottawa. When you look at Pierre Dorian, because there is as long as it works, that's it. There's going to be the conversation. Like there's a lot of good bets, a lot of good. bets. Like when you look at what Dorian's done here again, to his point, you can quibble about, you know, does Matthew Joseph maybe make, you know, a million more than he should or 500,000 more than he should. But like to his point, there are no bad contracts here, Elliot. As a matter of fact, you kind of got Tim Stutzla on a bargain and he's your highest paid player. I think this, I'd be surprised if they were making any changes like that right now. I think people will be added. I'd be surprised if anybody was departing. You know, one of the things that I think is going to be interesting here is how does the organization run under new ownership? It's clear that the Ottawa Senators were a dysfunctional organization for a long time. And now they've got everybody pulling in the right direction. And they've got a lot of good bets here. Everybody there is optimistic. I think it's for good reason. I think we're going to get a chance to see some things play out here. All right, Elliot, um, so much of this podcast leading up to the opening puck drop is just going to deal with, you know, business. And, you know, part of the business is getting players under contract. And there are a few RFAs that we're, you know, really wondering about. I know the situation is is really tight in Minnesota with, with Kalen Addison. And I think we all wonder about, you know, what is the number going to be with, you know, someone like Trevor Zegras uh, with the Anaheim Ducks superstar player. But maybe one of the more interesting contract situations, and we'll stick with Anaheim on this one, is Jamie Drysdale, who we really didn't see last season, Elliot, uh, because of injury. But this one sounds like it's not exactly smooth. What can you tell us about Jamie Drysdale's situation with Anaheim? I don't think either Anaheim one has been incredibly smooth, to be honest. You know, first of all, I'll just say about Zegras, I've been open about this. I think this one's going to be a bridge whenever it gets done. Mm -hmm. I'm not changing my opinion on that until someone gives me reason to, but I think it's going to be a bridge. You know, the Drivesdale one, obviously the team and the agent aren't talking about it, but I was talking just some other teams and some other agents about what they were thinking. And they brought up the point about Drivesdale that that injury last year cost him a year of service, right? Yeah. So he now loses a year towards arbitration. So instead of being like a year away, he's now two years away. And that really tips the balance of power to the team. Like one agent was telling me, that's a really, really tough position to negotiate from. Ask Shane Pinto what that feels like. Yeah, he's a different case. And, you know, we'll talk about that one maybe if you want to in a sec. But now we did last part. The Drysdale case, for that reason, like he can't do offer sheet. He's what's called a 10 c Like, as you said, Pinto is can't do offer sheet, no ARB. Like, they can really grind you if they want to. And, you know, the difference between a guy like Pinto and Drysdale is that in Pinto's case, it's a team at the cap 
that is trying to win. There is no chance the Senators don't want Pinto signed at the start of the year. They need him. They want him. They're stuck, and they're trying to move somebody. Maybe it's Joseph. Maybe it's someone else just to get room there to get Pinto signed. But Anaheim, they have lots of cap room, and they're not trying to win. You know, that's the thing here. Like with Drysdale and Zegers, like Anaheim, they're tough. Verbeek is tough. He is a really tough negotiator. And Jeff Solomon, who's the assistant GM there, who negotiates contracts, he's a former agent, and people will tell you that Jeff Solomon, and they say this with respect, he is one of the toughest negotiators that's ever been around the NHL. Like anything with him is an absolute grind. Like I don't know which one's doing the, handling this, if it's Verbeek or it's Solomon, but they are two really tough negotiators. And Verbeek's the boss. He's the general manager. He's the guy in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I worry about here with, with Zegris and, and Drysdale is if you're Anaheim, you're not trying to win here. But the thing I always worry about in this particular case is are you worried about angering those players? You know, we talked a little bit before, Jeff, about how this uh, generation is different. And look, I think everybody out here knows what I'm talking about. Some ways good, some ways bad. I didn't do a lot of my negotiations because I till recently because I took them very personally. But now I'm a little older. I recognize it's business. I still take some things personally. I do, but I know it's business. These are young guys. These are guys in their early 20s. And, you know, they're very proud guys. Zegras in particular is as out there as anyone is in the NHL when it comes to like being fearless and and having that kind of attitude. And I would worry if I was the Ducks about grinding these guys too much. Like you have to, and you have the power of the CBA, but when the Ducks are good, you have to think that Zegras and Drysdale are going to be big parts of that. And, you know, here's the one thing I do also believe, Jeff, is that sometimes you can have a bad negotiation, say sign for three years or whatever. You have a bad negotiation and you say, I'll never sign with this team again. But in three years, it goes away. It's a risk. Sometimes it does go away, but other times it doesn't. The other thing, too, is, you know, if the Ducks start the season without these guys in their lineup, what are you doing to give your fans a reason to buy a ticket into the building. And so, look, I understand the Ducks are holding tough. I don't expect them to give these guys everything they want. Oh, here's the money. Take all of it from our bank. We'll let you into the safe and give you our safety deposit box key. (laughs) But I do wonder, like, on a team that is as hard negotiators as they are, and they are hard, Mm -hmm. I just... That's the one thing I'm concerned about for here. Are they going to take this too far with these two players? Okay, so you're you're a big proponent. You've said it before on this podcast and elsewhere about the, uh, and I'm, I'm going to butcher how you phrased it here. The best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. Yeah. Do I have that one right? Yes. So I'll reach back into the summer, not too far, and say, okay, I'm looking at the Trevor Zegra situation and the Jamie Drysdale situation and how, you know, this one is a grind and use the CBA to your advantage. And we talked about Yarmo Kekalainen and, you know, sometimes you have the hammer, sometimes the player has the hammer, et cetera, get all that. 
And I'm looking at Anaheim and I'm looking at, okay, so how have we recently seen them behave around contracts? Troy Terry. Mm -hmm. So Troy Terry, it seemed, went from we're going to arbitration, we're going into that room to bam, $49 million. Yep. Seven-year contract. Yep. It went from zero to 49 million like that, which is why I can't help but thinking here when it comes to Zegras or Drysdale, I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if this is, whether it's for Beaker or whether it's Solomon, take it up right to the very, very last minute. What does Lou Lamarillo always talk about? If you have the time, use it. And then bam, at that last moment, all of a sudden, this number appears out of nowhere. Again, I'm only I'm only using Troy Terry as the example because it's the only one that I have and it's most recent. But does that resonate? Jeff, I think that resonates a lot. I think it's a great point. And I'd say the only difference here is that Terry had the leverage swing in the CBA that these two players don't have. Correct. But you know, I, I think that's very fair. You know, me you could be turn out to be totally right here. Totally right. And the one thing I heard, and I, I heard this from a few different people, is Everybody thought that one was going into a hearing and then it didn't. Yep. It was a big number why it didn't. Yeah. And, and it was, it's a fair contract. I don't think anybody's complaining about it. Maybe that'll be what happened. Maybe on the eve of training camp, they do that. You know, I think the other thing too is, and I think we've talked about this, is that like they have a new coach there too. I always think whenever you're bringing in a new coach, you don't like to start like that without key guys there. True. You know, again, like, you know, Anaheim, they're free to do what they want. I understand it's it's a negotiation. Unless Zegris and Drysdale are being completely piggish, then I see a lot of reasons here for the Ducks to find reasons to make it work. You don't have to hand over everything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, make your fans happy. Get them in to start with a new coach. That's what I'd be looking to do. Okay. Before we get to a couple of more things here on the pod and Gustafson and Raymond still coming up, I wanted to talk about Josh Bailey and we got a note from Ryan in Long Island about Josh Bailey as part of the Montana's thought line, Montana's barbecue and bar, Canada's home for barbecue. What do you always say, Elliot? Try the ribs. Email 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca uh, by way of phone 1-833-311-3232. So Ryan submits this one on the Montana's thought line. Although I'm a Rangers fan, my fiance obsesses over Josh Bailey. Once a week, I search Google to find any sort of Josh Bailey update. So far, I've had no luck. Uh, I'm now turning to the experts for some insight. Jeff and Elliot, does no team have a need for a middle six veteran playmaker? Will Josh Bailey get an NHL contract this year? If so, where will he go and what will the deal look like? If not, what is next for him? Elliot, I submit, and so does Ryan in Long Island, Josh Bailey. First of all, before I answer the question, young Ryan, I see a lot of red flags here. You live in Long Island. Ranger fan. Flag number one, red flag number one, you're a Ranger fan. Red flag number two, your fiance is obsessing over Josh Bailey. I am rooting for you, Ryan. You sound like a really good guy, but already... You've got two strikes against you here. So good luck. <laughs> I wish you all the best. I had heard there was something coming down the pipe with Bailey that uh, he'd been talking to teams and there was some interest. But as of 
8.30 Eastern tonight, which was an hour before we did this pod, I'm being told it's uncertain about where he's going to end up. Look, I'm with you, Ryan. I think he can help. But like I said, the word was uncertain about what his final destination will be. But I'm told he wants to play. Ryan, good luck. Um, And that is the update with Josh Bailey. From Donald, uh, one more. Could the NHL bring back the NHL All-Stars versus the European All-Stars and have it held in certain foreign cities to give both sides best players to be seen by fans who normally wouldn't get to see Crosby or McDavid on a world stage other than the World Cup of Hockey or the Winter Olympics? What's your take? As always, opinions, please. NHL All-Stars versus European all-stars. Look, I don't even want to, no offense, but I don't even want to see this until we get the other stuff figured out first. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff, I don't know how much of the basketball you watched a couple last couple weeks, the, the World Cup. Go Canada. It was like, was awesome. you know, I'm not an early riser, but I, you know, I, I happened to wake up at 6 a.m. this morning. So I got to watch the, the overtime between Canada and the U.S., and the whole time I'm watching this, and I'm saying, wow, how great is this for Canada? Gets a medal, and and Gilgis Alexander and Brooks, I mean, they, they were unbelievable, those two guys. But part of me was like, this is fantastic, great for Canada. And the other half of me is, man, we are losing out in the NHL not having this, and hockey not having this. I know. So more than an all-star game or what, or this kind of thing, we have to get the World Cup back. Now, they are talking about something. They are working on something for the All-Star game uh, next year. And there's some talk about European locations. I think it's more likely North America. But the one thing I was told is they are trying to do something a little bit unique. They are trying to find a way to put a twist on it that is entertaining and I don't think we're talking about Team North America and anything like that. But they are trying to find some ways to do it. And they really want to do it. I have heard there's a real, finally, a recognition that this has to happen. Mm-hmm. Because we're way behind. And watching this tournament the other day reminded me of that. Okay. I'm going to freestyle a question here on the Montana's Thought Line. Ready? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So I'm emailed in at 32thoughtsofsportsnet.ca, this question for you. When's the last time you felt old? Like this morning when I woke up? <laughs> I think I know what it was because I texted you and you sent back a holy smokes or a wow or something to me. Eric Bolton's son just signed with the London Knights. <laughs> Unbelievable. Ryan Bolton. Eric Bolton, who it seems like retired like five minutes ago. It was longer than that. Um, his son just signing with the uh, with the London Knights. The symmetry there, by the way, is Eric played for the Sarnia Sting when Mark Hunter was the coach uh, of the Sarnia Sting. But Ryan Bolton signs with the London Knights. It happens every year. Elliot, I know you have the same reaction. Man, we've been in this for a long, long time, and we're not getting any younger. I wish you all the best, Ryan Bolton, and the entire Bolton family who have now made me and Elliot safe to say you feel old. PJ Stock always said that Eric Bolton was one of the great people in hockey. Yeah. So good on the Boltons. Congrats to the Boltons there. Okay. Uh, before we get to Flip Gustafson and Lucas Raymond, uh, last week, both Stan Bowman and Joel Quinville addressing coaches and general managers. Uh, we talked about this on the last podcast. 
NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said that it wasn't mandatory, but when the commissioner says, if you'd like to address the group, the floor is yours, that's pretty much a way of saying it's probably in your best interest to do so. Um, your thoughts on this one, Stan Bowman and Joel Quenville are sharing their thoughts on their experiences uh, around the Brad Aldrich uh, sexual assault of Cal Beach. Jeff, you'll remember on Friday's pod, we talked about this meeting coming up in Chicago and we discussed that we'd heard that the NHL was going to let the coaches and GMs know that, look, God forbid, if something like this ever happened again, that they were responsible for how it would be handled in their dressing room or they needed to be responsible for how it would be handled in their dressing room or their organization. And then, obviously, we found out later that Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman were there. And Amo will link to Eric Engel's story, because Eric covered it for us in Chicago, because I think the quotes from Bill Armstrong, the GM of the Coyotes, and Martin Saint-Louis, the coach of the Canadians, were particularly interesting. And, you know, I followed up a little bit, and, you know, if you read what they had to say, and just collecting some more information, basically, from what it sounds like to me, the picture that was painted was at higher levels in the organization, they were told, we will handle this. If you'll remember, that was brought to their attention for the first time after they beat San Jose in the Western Conference Final and they were going to go play for the Stanley Cup. And, you know, basically it was, you guys worry about that. Let the higher levels of the organization worry about what has happened here and basically what the coaches and the gms were told is that isn't good enough if you know about something and you say i don't have to worry about this because it's going to get handled the consequences are severe Mm -hmm. and like i said if you read armstrong and san luis quotes and then just talking to some other people that's the picture that they were painted was you are responsible it's not enough to say oh i've been told by the team president that we don't have to worry about this and i think that message was absolutely received Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. 
you might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. In a couple of moments here, you are going to hear from Lucas Raymond of the Detroit Red Wings. I know that they're one of those teams that are hoping after knocking on the door last year leading up into trade deadline, uh, knocking on the playoff door. We expect the Detroit Red Wings to take another step getting to the playoffs. If they get there this season, we'll see. Uh, but if and when they do, Lucas Raymond is going to be a big part of this Detroit Red Wings team and one of the main reasons why they get there. So in a couple of moments, Lucas Raymond. But up first, Philip Gustafson, who is an interesting story, had a wonderful season for the Minnesota Wild and in a lot of ways went from, maybe I'll just go back to play in Sweden, to a three-year, $11 million contract in his hip pocket after a tremendous season with Minnesota. Here's Philip Gustafson in conversation with yours truly and Elliot from Stockholm a couple of weeks ago. sewing school yep. and then I read that you used to take it no you you have it mandatory in school I didn't know that really yeah, yeah. you have that and like woodwork mandatory in school see I think that's great yeah, yeah we, you had cooking classes too like were you good at sewing no were you good at woodworking yeah and were you good at cooking no no okay <laughs> <laughs> no I, I just got the grades and I got out of the cooking and, and sewing classes Philip, we're in your country. Tell us the best thing about Sweden. Best thing about Sweden is probably the people. I would say everyone here is is super nice, and mm-hmm. maybe they're not the most open people. Like if you go and start talking to someone, they're first they think you're a little weird, but then if you really try and talk to them, they they can be super helpful and, and yeah. easy to talk to. That explains my last 24 hours here. Yeah. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you have an early childhood hockey memory here that you can recall and share with us? My first times on the ice was my, my dad was still playing when I grew up until. Mm-hmm. So I, after his games, I always ran down to the penalty box and, and skated over with him into the locker room. And, and then he transitioned into becoming the coach for me. And then he was coach for me all the way up until I was 12, maybe. And and moved into one of the bigger teams. Were you always a goalie? No, um, I was a goalie from when I was, I think, seven, seven or eight. I started to become a goalie. So then I played goalie for born 97, 98. Mm-hmm. And then I played forward with the, the 99, 2000. How did that happen? Like, why did like that happen? I, I was a goalie and I, I really liked it. And then at a point I was like, maybe I just want to score goals all the time. <laughs> and it's like... Why should I stop them? Why can't I score goals? So then I, like my brother played in that team. So I just started playing with him and, and we started to compete about who could score the most goals. And then after a time I was like, yeah, goal is more fun. Scoring goals is, is not that fun. It's more fun to stop them. And hmm. when I was 12, I, I moved to the big team in our city and I only had to play goalie from then. Okay. I, I was wondering, did you come today with a riddle no no <laughs> no not today 
That was what someone told me. He said, I should be prepared for a riddle. I have to admit, I'm kind of disappointed because someone said he's going to bring something and you won't be able to figure it out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Usually we did that during all the games. We went into the medical room after the meeting before the games and, and had like a riddle going on in there mm-hmm. and see who would figure out. Sometimes <laughs> I brought some and, and, and some days they had a riddle. And, the training staff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they try to to get one and, and you go out, play the soccer or, or have the warm-ups and you still, if you haven't got it, you still think about the real, like trying to figure something out. And then before the game, they usually spoil the answer if, if you don't have it. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the last thing they probably want is you trying to figure yeah. out this riddle. Oh, it's a two-on-one yeah. here. Oh, right, right. I right, heard right. a story. I don't want to do it now, but I heard a story about that once. What a, a, a major league pitcher who pitched while trying to think about a riddle. Uh, (laughs) Because, you know, what's funny about that is apparently the Sedins, when they played in Vancouver, they would do the same thing. After the meeting, they would go into the trainer room and they would do like trivia questions with each other. Okay, let's go to hockey here. And a couple of things. One, great season. Congrats. Two, great contract. Congrats. How close were you, though, to getting into the arbitration room in your own mind? Didn't get there, but how close was it? Really close. Uh, like, first they, they told me, yeah, we're going to file for arbitration. I was like, that's not good. Because <laughs> I, 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 I didn't want to sign a one-year deal. I, I wanted something more than one. And, and two, they refused to, to do a two-year deal because then I'd become a free agent after mm-hmm. two years. And they were like, no, we was putting a little pressure on them to file for arbitration. And, and the time went by and we had a flight scheduled for a Wednesday. And I think the meeting, the arbitration was like a Friday. I kind of call in all the time, like what's going on here? Are we? They're like, no, Billy hasn't called anything. We'll, we just plan on flying. I had a really bad Friday. The whole day was bad. Like design your mind yeah, the whole yeah. day. No, no, no. That mm-hmm. wasn't on my mind. I just had a bad Friday mm-hmm. walking around, fixing my car or something. It was and then I just got a call like, hey, I got some great news. Bills just called us. And uh they want to do a three year deal now. It was a good deal. And we're like, This is perfect. This was what we were aiming for. And it was pretty much set in stone on the Friday we they just had to fix all the paperwork and then I signed it on a on a Sunday. So I just had to keep it quiet for my mom and dad and family for two days. Because they would tell everybody? No, no. <laughs> I, I don't think they would tell anyone, but yeah. You got to understand how it all works. It's, it's more fun. It's just like I brought them out for dinner. I was, yeah. And they're like, why are we going out for dinner? And I didn't tell them what restaurant we were going to. or like, yeah, show up this time and, and go out. And they're like, oh, now we know why. Then they kind of figure out that I just had signed it. Mm-hmm. When you look at it this year, Philip, what worked for you like what was the difference this season do you felt it starts with outside of the rink i i really felt welcome in in minnesota and it felt like me and my my family that, that flew over we like really liked it felt welcome they helped us with a lot of stuff getting settled in and then getting into the team with with spurgeon and and the swedish guys they're just really helping you get everything settled out or settled and uh when you feel that comfortable outside the rink, you can kind of like let your shoulder down and like everything is fixed, everything is set and you can just play hockey. And then I had Fleury on the side, so I had zero pressure for myself coming into the season. Fleury was 
supposed to play all the games and I was kind of going to be there. And then I just played hockey. And when you just play hockey, not thinking about anything else, you play the best. Do you think the security now of the contract, and you said you really liked the three-year deal, do you think that adds to that level of, I don't have to worry as much? Yeah, now it's everything outside of hockey is set now. I know what I'm going to do for three years. I'm still going to play hockey for, for three years. And knowing that they wanted me back and, and knowing that security around that team is just, everything is going to fix itself and you can just focus on hockey for three years. It's very mentally tough on you when you're coming into your last year of any deal and you, you really know you have to perform. So knowing you don't have that knife against your throat every year is very nice. Mm. Game one, Minnesota Wild, Dallas Stars. Uh, that was the Dumba-Pavelski incident, and it was also, I think it was 51 or 52 saves by you. Just like an outstanding performance. What do you recall from the game about how you were feeling? You know, whenever I talk to goaltenders and they have like these big like 50, 60 save performances, they kind of feel like, you know what, it, they're just sort of in a groove and the puck is just hitting them. Yep. What did you feel like during that game? Because flat out, you were outstanding yep. that game. It's funny you said that play good. It, it didn't feel good in the first or, or second period because I think the goal I let in wasn't the best goal. It didn't feel great. It didn't feel like you had that natural like flow or, or stuff like that. And then the more the game went on, the, the more pucks started hitting me. Yeah. And then you kind of have to work your way into the game. I remember I came in after we're going into the second overtime and Fleury sit, were sitting next to me. I was like, hey, Fleury, I, if the game doesn't finish this period, you're going to play the next one. I, I was like so tired almost. That's what you said it, to it, him? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I think I got one more period in me. <laughs> more more <laughs> like like I, I obviously would have played the next period yeah. too, but it was more like keeping keep, keep it le- keep lightly. Alert. Yes. Uh, that's outstanding. Listen, uh, congratulations on all of it. Just a, a command performance last season. Look forward to many more good things in Minnesota starting next year. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lucas, it's almost become the obligatory question uh, during media tour. How was your summer and how many weddings did you go to? I had a really good summer. I went to one wedding uh, and it was a lot of fun. That was Dylan Larkins. That was Dylan. And yeah, like I said, it, it was beautiful. Uh, you know, we had a great time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, this Red Wings team, you know, once again in the offseason, I'm curious your perspective on this as, as one of the younger players. Steve Eiserman brings in Alex DeBrinkett and Petrie and JT Comfer. And this is the second year in a row that we've seen, you know, more veteran players join the mix. As one of the key young guys, what goes through your mind when you see that? You know, excited. You know, I feel like we're building something really good. You know, I feel like if you look at my first year, which is only two years ago, compared to now coming into this season, I feel like it's a huge difference. And I think, you know, every player and also the city is very excited for this season. So, yeah, no, I think everyone's excited. I went back through the season. I was watching Steve Eiserman's end-of-year media conference, and he was really complimentary of you. And he can have a really biting sense of humor, so I, I know what it's like to be on the end of it. But, you know, I thought it was really interesting how he talked about, you know, you had a really good rookie year, and then Perron comes in and kind of takes your spot a bit. And now Debrinkit comes in, 
And you have to wonder where he's going to fit in all that. But he liked the way that you handled the fact that you had a role and someone came in who kind of affected your role a bit. Can you just talk about you're a young guy, you're trying to build, and how you handle the fact that these veterans come in and it affects what you're trying to build at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I feel like you could look at it from a lot of different perspectives. I think for me, it was, you know, I feel like we we took a step last year Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of areas. And, you know, I want to develop as a player, but, you know, mostly I want our team to move in a direction that is fun. So, I mean, I think that it created a lot of competition in our team and in a lot of different spots, I think, which was good for us. I think that, you know, made everyone trying to take a further step and, you know, want to play better, want to develop. And I think that benefits everyone. You know, I think competition is good. And I think that that drives you forward. So, yeah, that, that was kind of my mindset. And like I said, I feel like everyone on our team just wants to win and wants to take steps as a organization, as individuals as well. Nothing given, earned, right? Exactly. I mean, you don't you don't get anything in the National Hockey League. Like, that's the same thing as me coming in my first year. It was... Uh, you know, you're not given a spot. They're not going to tell you, hey, here you go. You got to earn it. And I think that's the way to do it as well. And I think it shows a lot about our team as well. I've always loved Perron. I find him a very fascinating player, really smart, really nasty, sneaky nasty. What did you just learn from him watching him practice playing with him last year? Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's one of those players that you you, you hate to play against but love to have in your team. He's a skilled guy, but, you know, brings that brings that grit and a little extra edge. So we're happy to have him on the team. How close do you think this team is? I mean, we followed last season. I mean, that must have been tough as a player, you know, getting right there and then right around trade deadline time where, okay, the play is going to decide what the general manager does here. And by the end of it, Tyler Bertuzzi is a Boston Bruin. But how close do you think this team is to finally – getting into the playoffs i would love to say that uh you know we're we're very close with shy which i think we're getting there you know i think that's you know our goal for next season i think for us it's about taking it one game at a time not you know jump ahead of ourselves last year i think was a step in the right direction still not where we want to be we had a tough stretch before the deadline which hurt us a lot but you know we were right there if you look at it at the end of the season so, yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're learning. Uh, you know, it's my third year. It's another two years of experience. And mm-hmm. you, you just keep learning. It's just a lot of fun. And we have a lot of guys, you know, coming in, getting more experience and getting a lot of more experienced guys as well who's been in these situations. So, yeah, I think we're getting there. What did those games against Ottawa teach you? You know, a lot. I think uh, those were kind of the deciding games at, at our season, looking back at it. I think they came up playing like a playoffs game. And, uh, you know, a lot of energy, physicality and stuff like that. And we were kind of on our heels. So uh, that's two games that you that you look back on and want to get back. You know, coming into this season, I think we really learned that. And hopefully when those games come again, we're, we're prepared. You know, there's that group. And, you know, you're part of it. Ottawa, that Elliot mentions, is part of it. And the Buffalo Sabres as well. You know, we're all sort of waiting to see who's going to, you know, which horse is going to peel off from the pack here. Does it feel like there's something extra in those games when you play against those teams? Like there's the established at Boston and Tampa, et cetera, Toronto. But when you play against Ottawa or Buffalo, yeah. is there that element of, no, we're going to be the next team, not you guys? You know, I think that has kind of built up a little bit. I think we felt it last year. 
you know, which in my opinion is a lot of fun. I think it's good for hockey. It's good for us. It's good for everyone uh, with that competition. I mean, us, like you mentioned, Buffalo and Ottawa have a lot of good young players and um, are kind of on the on the upgoing. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, let's 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 make this a spicy rivalry. Who do you hate <laughs> most on Ottawa and Buffalo? Pick one player on each team. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll keep that to myself, but... <laughs> Uh, no, I don't hate anyone. You know, there's there's fun games and. Do you yeah. like playing against Brady Kachuk? Um, you know, I don't think a lot of players do. Uh, <laughs> he's he's a really good player, and uh, you know, he has a lot of tools. Uh, you know, with that edge that he has, but also yeah. his his play. But I like playing against everyone. What about Deline? Yeah, same with him. He's uh, he's a great guy. I know him very well. So yeah, it's extra fun playing against him. I can't imagine it's actually fun playing against him. You you must just want to, since you know him very well, yeah. it must be like one of those friendships where you guys get along off the ice, yeah. but on the ice you just must want to kill him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's a part of it though. Like He's a very competitive player as well. He's a good player, and he plays with uh, with the edge as well. You know, He's one of the best D's in the league, so mm-hmm. um, he's tough to play against, but I mean, when you know a guy that well, it's, it's fun to play him as well. I just wanted to ask you, when you were taken, did you know Detroit was going to pick you? No, I had no idea. I had kind of a clue on maybe a couple of teams. Uh, Who else was there besides the Wings? I mean, I think it was the teams around there. Yeah. You know, Ottawa had two picks and, Mm -hmm. you know, around that pick. And, you know, so it was a little back and forth, but I never knew really. So when Detroit picked me, I was very happy. That moment. When you saw that, what was the first thing that went through your mind or heard it? Yeah, um, it was different, you know, being home over a Zoom call, but it was fun. You know, I think I kind of blacked out a little bit. It's like, wow, it's real. I think it's tough to prepare for it, but no, it was a lot of fun, you know, just with the friends, family that was around to experience that with them. That was, uh, it was a great experience. Now you're a Gothenburg guy, not yeah. a, a not a Stockholm guy, but nonetheless, Global Series in November. Uh, your Red Wings, uh, the Minnesota Wild, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Ottawa Senators. I love this series because I love watching NHL games in different hockey contexts, in different hockey cultures, and the Swedish hockey culture is different than the Latvian hockey culture is different than the Finnish hockey culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's that going to mean for you, though, as a player, playing NHL games in your home country? Uh, I'm excited. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, especially I live an hour flight from here, so you'll be able to get friends, family, relatives who might not be able to watch me live over there uh, for them to, to see me, uh, you know, in an NHL game. I think that will be special. So it's going to cost you to play. Yeah. It's, it's playing it's gonna, for free. No, it's going to be more than playing for free. It's going to cost to play. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. You know, show the guys some Swedish traditions and stuff like that. So I'm excited for that. True or false, people from Gothenburg have better senses of humor than people from Stockholm. True. That's what they tell true. me. I don't yeah. know if it's true. But no, that's what they told I'd me. say it's true. Someone from uh, Gothenburg told you that. Yeah. That's I think it was Alfred. I'm partial too, but yeah, no, I'd say it's true. Well, uh, I, I know you look forward to the games and uh, reclaiming your amateur status where you have to pay to play. Uh, once again, thanks so much for this. Good luck this season with the Wings. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lucas. Thank you.
before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco about Really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view, and they all had to stay somewhere and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, so that's Lucas Raymond of the Detroit Red Wings. Before that, Philip Gustafson of the Minnesota Wild. want to thank both those gentlemen for joining us in Stockholm a few weeks ago. Elliot, one thing that we wanted to make sure we got on the podcast, a uh, special voicemail that we got on the uh, on the thought line, 1-833-311-3232. That is, of course, the Montana's thought line. Uh, this comes to us from Josh in Edmonton. Hey, Jeff, Elliot, Alma, this is Joshua from Edmonton. My question to uh, Jeff, I was wondering what your thoughts are on what's happening with CM Punk in regards to wrestling. I know he's a friend of your guys' podcast, and uh, just kind of wonder what your thoughts are and what maybe could be next for CM Punk. Do you think uh, he goes back to the WWE after leaving AEW? Thank you, guys. Have a great one. Now, first of all, Jeff, before you answer, yeah. Josh left a longer voicemail. It was really nice. Yeah. Uh, beautiful uh, of voicemails, uh, clearly indicating he's a big fan. So, Josh, thanks for listening. But I want to hear this, too. I, I don't know CM Punk as well as you, but I'm following, I've been following all this. Josh, you deserve more than what I'm going to give you, um, which is basically nothing. I have not talked to Phil um about this generally whenever we either text or talk it's either conversations about how much we adore uh mitsuhara misawa or harley race so does he end up in wwe somewhere down the line i mean that's kind of the history of pro wrestling isn't it that even though you burn the bridge they'll always send a boat for you they'll always send a raft for you so i don't think it would surprise me or it would surprise anyone nor should it if you've followed professional wrestling but to this specific topic uh no i have no inside information nor have i talked to uh to phil about it but boo a talent that big man it, it, i've always said it like wrestling's just better when when cm punk is involved in it 
wherever. Yeah, he I is. don't know anything about this situation except what I've read, but I really enjoyed meeting him, uh, and uh, I hope uh, everything turns out okay. For Okay, taking us out today on the podcast, Elliot, I'm going to redo my We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel with Dan oh, Heinen and Noah, no, and we got Noah Gregor and Colin White and all those guys. I know you really dug that. Maybe Amal can clip that <laughs> and we can make it your ringtone for whenever I call you. No, Let's leave okay. it to the professionals. All right, very good. Well, here's one of the professionals. Taking us out, an American folk artist who wrote music from his experiences growing up in Michigan. Unknown to many for decades, Rodriguez found a second wave of success after the Academy Award-winning documentary Searching for Sugarman. Mm. From his debut record, Cold Fact, here's Rodriguez with Rich Folks Hoax. Rest easy, Seize 2, on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. The moon is hanging in the purple sky. The baby's sleeping. While its mother sighs Talking about the rich folks Rich folks have the same jokes And they park in basic places The priest is preaching From a shallow grave his money then he paints you safe talking to the young folks young folks share the same jokes but they meet in older places so don't tell me about your success You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences, People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.